Some years ago, I was a passenger on a fairly long car journey. We were going cross-country and down some of those fast A roads and B roads. And all of a sudden, one of those roads took a little kink. And the guy who was driving the car heaved on the brakes as a roundabout came into view up ahead. And there weren't any cars around, there wasn't any safety concern, and we were all wondering, does this guy know what he's doing behind the wheel? So we asked him what was going on, and the driver, he said, this junction is new. It wasn't on the map when I looked at it before we set off. It turned out that he had meticulously planned this journey and actually used Google Street View to visualize every one of the junctions along the route, so he knew which turning to take and which lane to be in, and so on. He was prepared, well prepared, or so he thought. But as soon as he came to something unfamiliar or unexpected, he didn't know how to respond. He had to slam on the brakes to stop us in our tracks in case he led us off in the wrong direction. Now, as we come today to this passage from the book of Proverbs and to this weighty subject of facing temptation, I want to suggest that many of us experience temptation a bit like that roundabout. If we've been familiar with Christian things for a long time, and if we've heard all of the right answers from Sunday school, and if we've always been told right from wrong, we can trundle along quite comfortably in life and not think much about it. But then, that thing happens to us, or that person steps into our life, that moment, that feeling, that reaction. We find in ourselves something bubbling up that we weren't expecting suddenly, often without us even realizing it was happening. We find ourselves at a junction, a fork in the road. Suddenly, we've got decisions to make. And if we're left to ourselves and our own internal autopilot, well, who knows which path we'll take? There's a real risk we'll make an unwise choice, an ungodly choice. A choice that the writer of the Proverbs would call foolish and would warn us will lead us into grave danger. If you know the book of Proverbs at all, you'll know that it's a book full of characters. There are lots of almost cartoon characters later on, two-dimensional people who are known by their one defining characteristic. Uh, There's the glutton who overindulges. There's the sluggard who lounges around. There's the mocker who scoffs at those who are diligent in doing good work. But there are three more complex characters who are really in view throughout the book. Firstly, there's the wise person, the righteous, the prudent And it won't surprise you to hear that the writer's main objective is that we as readers would become wise. And so, for instance, my favorite verse in the whole book, Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. Now, this is more than just good advice. This is a God-given way of life. It stems from his character and it's spoken with clarity so that we're not in the dark about how God wants us to live in the world that he's made. And we've got to define our terms correctly. Wisdom in in this Bible sense of the word is not just knowledge that sits in our heads, though it does include that. Nor is it just practical action that makes the world a better place, though it includes that too. Wisdom, how God reveals it in the Bible, 
is about our knowledge and our actions and our affections. Being wise is about having our hearts tuned to that which is good, ultimately hearts turned towards God himself. But you don't need to be a long-term resident in this world to realize that not everybody's heart beats that way. And that's why the Proverbs introduce us to another character, the wicked or the foolish. The wicked, if you like, are the polar opposite of the wise. They think evil thoughts and do evil deeds. They have turned against God in their hearts, so they're actually far from God and work against God in the world. So the backdrop to our passage here in Proverbs 7 are these two characters who speak with two voices. They're both personified, both imagined as women, actually, calling out and clamoring for our attention. And us? Well, we're a third character. We are the simple or the youth. We're those who aren't committed either way, uh, not as mature as we might be, not as robust as we could be in fixing our moral compass in the direction set on the heart of God. So uh, on the one hand, there's Lady Wisdom calling out to us, longing for us to follow the way of the Lord. And Lady Folly calling out to us too, speaking untruths, leading us away from the Lord. Her way is disaster and destruction. And all of this, all of this takes us to temptation and to these verses here in Proverbs chapter 7. I found in them three instructions, three pieces of wise and godly advice that are God's way in God's world. Here's the first of them. Don't visit temptation's neighborhood. Don't visit temptation's neighborhood. And for this, we're in Proverbs 7, 6 to nine. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. For some, it's a slightly uncomfortable image. Here is folly personified, dressed up as a sexualized woman whose intention is to lead a hapless and seemingly helpless man astray. Now, I think to read it purely that way would be to misunderstand what this passage is here to teach us. It is emphatically not teaching us that women ought to be objectified. It is emphatically not teaching us that women are more likely to corrupt men than the other way around. Remember, wisdom too is personified as a female character. And this whole book ends in Proverbs 31 with an example of wisdom embodied and lived out in the most remarkable life in the woman of noble character, or as the phrase really means, the valiant woman. So if we can step beyond the gender dynamics here and take this passage on its own terms i hope we'll see that first lesson in those verses six to nine don't visit temptation's neighborhood because here's the youth that the young man the simple guy wandering through a dodgy neighborhood after dark and who knows maybe he went into this situation not necessarily looking for trouble It can happen to us. We can find ourselves unexpectedly sometimes in a place that presents us with temptation that might not have been premeditated on our part, but which suddenly becomes very real. One place that I've seen this in my own life 
is with the joke that escalates and goes too far. You know, it starts with a little friendly joke that's fun and it's all in good humour, but it ramps up and there's an atmosphere and you egg each other on and before you know it, you've crossed a line and someone's been hurt. I recall with a sense of shame now an incident in a former workplace. A a member of my team was leaving and I was tasked with organising her leaving card. I searched back through some old folders on the shared drive and found a funny, embarrassing photo from a Christmas party years before. And I put a witty caption on it. It was a a lookalike type of thing. I got it printed. The moment that I realised I'd crossed a line was when some members of our sales team, not known as sensitive people, refused to sign their names on the card. They thought it was more than teasing. It was unkind even. And that was chastening for me. It was embarrassing. If I hadn't wanted to be clever or to be witty or to get in one last dig at my colleague before her leaving day, I wouldn't have allowed the joke to escalate and risk offending anyone. And of course, wisdom would have said, don't go near a teasing, mocking tone. Be kind, build up, encourage. Now, on one level, that was a relatively trivial misdemeanor. But I can think of others, and maybe you can, that were much more serious and that caused more lasting damage. Here in this passage, the dynamics of temptation are shown through the frame of sexual temptation. And this young man, this youth, perhaps he didn't set out with the intention of having a sexual encounter that evening. But he walks down the path that is going to lead him towards temptation. He visits temptation's neighborhood. Maybe for you, it's the work Christmas party where the alcohol is flowing and the inhibitions are low. Or or the expectation that you will entertain clients with a certain kind of night out on the town. Or the conference where everyone is away from home and where their spouses are away from their partners. Or or the privacy of the hotel room and the pay-per-view or the unfiltered Wi-Fi. The writer of the Proverbs would say, don't visit temptation's neighborhood. Look ahead and anticipate where trouble might come and avoid it. If you find yourself in that place, get out. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. Jesus said that to look at someone lustfully is to commit adultery in the heart. And so if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Run away. Get out of there. Don't visit temptation's neighborhood. We often talk about a moment of temptation, don't we? There was a famous political sleaze scandal a few years ago where the politician described his actions as a moment of madness. But the Bible presents temptation and sin more often as being points on a journey. There's a path we're going down or a trajectory that we're on. And temptations become more prevalent and harder to resist the more committed we are to that path. It's why Jesus taught his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He might have said, keep me going in that direction towards you and away from trouble. He knew when you needed God's help with it. John Green, in his book, The Fault in Our Stars, has one of his characters say, I fell in love the way you fall asleep, slowly and then all at once. 
And isn't that so often how we give in to temptation? Very slowly we drift in that direction and then all at once it's too late. Don't visit temptation's neighborhood. Well, look, prevention is better than cure. But, but what happens when temptation persists? What instruction for us then? Well, here's the second instruction from this passage, uh, from verses 10 to 20. Don't believe temptation's lies. Don't believe temptation's lies. And let me read just verse 10 again. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. This young man may not have intended to seek out some sin to commit this particular day, but he meets someone who has. She's dressed for the occasion. She's made her intentions known and she's been in pursuit. In his paraphrase of this passage, Eugene Peterson expresses it well. He puts it this way. Just then a woman met him. She'd been lying in wait for him, dressed to seduce him. Brazen and brash she was, restless and roaming, never at home, walking in the streets, loitering in the mall, hanging out at every corner in town. She's got tactics. So just skim through those verses and see what she does. She pursues him in verses 11 and 12. She's physically affectionate. In verse 13, breaking a a real taboo for that time by kissing him passionately in public. She casts herself as religious. In verse 14, she makes him feel special. In verse 15, she presents this encounter as a luxury and a treat. In verses 16 and 17, she promises him pleasure and satisfaction. In verse 18, and she promises him no consequences. In verses 19 and 20, she says her husband is away till the end of the month. Essentially, she's saying, it's all good. He'll have the time of his life. He'll be thoroughly indulged. Nobody will ever know. And it sounds like a tempting offer, doesn't it? Wisdom says it's too good to be true. These tactics are deceptive. He's been sold a pack of lies. Now, I could pick up on any one of those tactics and unpack them further, but for the sake of our time today, let's focus in on just verse 14 for a moment. Here, this tempter makes a good show of her religious credentials, even while leveraging them for immoral purposes. And let's pause there for a moment to recognize that it is possible to promote sin and to package it up in Christian language. The Bible is quite clear that the only appropriate sexual relationships in God's eyes are those that are consensual and within the covenant commitment of marriage made publicly between a man and a woman. It can be tempting to twist God's words or change them into something more convenient and less challenging for us. But to do so takes us away from the wisdom of God, which is to walk his way in his world. When we face temptations that cut against the grain of life as God intended it, the question for us is, how will we respond? Will we believe what the tempter tells us with hollow and empty promises of pleasure and fulfillment that ultimately fade away? Or will we believe what God tells us in his word as he promises life in all its fullness? Friends, when we face up to temptation, and are up against an enemy who has tricks in his books and who knows our vulnerabilities. We need to know who we're going into battle against. 
This is the one who way back in Genesis 3 verse 1 was called crafty. The snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And even when God's son came in the flesh, the devil tried to tempt him too. He promised Jesus the things that Jesus truly deserved, some food to start with, then some angelic sign of his authority, and then the worship and adoration of the nations. He couched it in Christian language. He used Bible verses to tempt Jesus, but he twisted them. He distorted them. He lied. Now, if all of this so far has been a tale of doom and gloom, this is where we've got to look if we want to find hope in the face of temptation. It's no coincidence that Jesus experienced temptation during his earthly ministry. In fact, it was essential for us that he did. He became one of us and felt what we feel. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Faced with the lies and the false promises of the devil, he responded with perfect obedience to his heavenly father. There's wisdom for us in how he responded. Each time he met the devil's lies with the truth of God's word correctly applied. It's not for nothing that Proverbs chapter 7 begins with an exhortation to know God's word and to keep it close at hand and to put it in our hearts. That's verses 1 to 5. But of course, Jesus did more than simply set a good example of godly behavior. Because of his perfect life, through his death, he paid the penalty of sin and broke the power of sin over us. So we're going to continue to face temptation this side of glory. But as we do, we have a Messiah, the Christ to look to, the one who perfectly obeyed and the one who through his death and by sending his spirit has equipped us with everything we need to battle temptation. So brother, sister, don't be dismayed as you face temptation. But please don't be naive and please be careful as you look to your own temptations Because we have an enemy and he doesn't rest and his tactics are vicious. And if those were the tactics he used against God's son, we better assume they're the best tactics he's got against us. If he pursued Jesus in that way, we can be sure he's pursuing us too. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that takes us to the third of the instructions we find in this chapter. Uh, Don't visit temptation's neighborhood. Don't believe temptation's lies. Thirdly, from verse 21 to the end, don't suffer temptation's consequences. Don't suffer temptation's consequences. This offer really is too good to be true. If you could turn the lights on and expose what was really going on in this nighttime encounter, you'd see that not everything was as it seemed all along. You see, from the perspective of the youth in this story, this is like all of his Christmases coming at once. He's being pursued and seduced by an attractive proposition, and he's been promised the world with no consequences. But what's really going on is that he's being led into a trap. Verse 21 With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it would cost him his life. When we give in to temptation, 
It may prove enjoyable at first. It may feel to us as if we're getting what we deserve. It may help us to curry favor with those around us. It may just give us a kick. But the consistent warning from God in the Bible is that when we walk down paths away from his word and his will, we will walk into traps which ensnare us, which we cannot escape from, and which will ultimately cost us our lives. There's a legal term that appears on death certificates sometimes, death by misadventure. People not intending to cause harm to themselves necessarily at first, but through carelessness, finding that their activities have consequences and cost them their lives. The Bible teaches us that to give in to temptation is to sin against God, is to put ourselves in opposition to him, it's to count ourselves among the foolish and the wicked rather than the wise and the righteous. Here's a sobering verse from the Apostle Paul, which serves as a warning for us as we face temptation and as we decide whether to give in to it or not. Galatians 6, verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Things really are that serious. And maybe for someone listening in this lunchtime, conscious of a particular area of temptation where you haven't been going God's way in God's world, I'd encourage you, please, to heed this warning today. Now listen to verses 26 and 27 as Eugene Peterson paraphrases them. So friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fall around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. She runs a halfway house to hell, fits you out with a shroud and a coffin. As you face temptation and face up to temptation, please see it for what it is. It's a trap. It's a halfway house to hell. Please don't visit temptation's neighborhood. Please don't believe temptation's lies. And please don't suffer temptation's consequences. Shall I pray that that may be true of us in this week ahead and in the days beyond? Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you that you have spoken. And we pray that you would help us to hear and to respond rightly to this warning to flee temptation. Show us where we need to hear that most clearly. And give us strength by your Spirit to follow and obey where your word and your will would have us walk. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.